Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, May the 9th. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Ben, the Blue Jays are a team of extremes. Last time that we spoke, they were uh, in the midst of a five game losing streak. They were in Boston getting swept out of Fenway Park and four games minus 13 run differential in those games uh booting the ball around the field really just nothing going right getting thoroughly outplayed then they go to pittsburgh 3-0 sweep the pirates plus 19 run differential three really decisive commanding uh dominant victories it reminds me honestly of when the blue jays started the season they didn't get swept by st louis in that opening series but they nearly did and really got pretty much outplayed by st louis there and then they went on this win streak right afterwards do you think that this is going to be the season for the blue jays they're just going to be super hot super cold or do you think things level off at some point well and as an aside that was probably the highlight of the cardinal season looking back because they're an absolute train wreck right now as for the Jays, which is which is the more important topic here, I really think that to some extent, it's just what it feels like when we're in the moment the way we are, and especially you being on this road trip, like, you know, it feels extreme. And like, make no mistake, <laughs> the Fenway Park series was a disaster. Like they played so poorly, their fielding was so bad, their pitching was so bad, they didn't hit enough. It was a really bad series. Um, then the Pirates series was really good. I think at the same time, you look back at, take any team that you want, whether it's the 2015 Blue Jays who were streaky, or the 1993 or 1992 Blue Jays. I guarantee if you look back at their baseball reference page, they had little stretches where they lost four of five and they lost five of seven and they won eight of 11. And at the end of it, it kind of evens out. And to me, the consistency is is never possible game to game because there are too many games. But I think if you look at it month to month and if you put together winning months consistently, then I think to me that's where you get a a consistent baseball team. And I suspect that at the end of May, the Blue Jays will have a winning record in May, just as they did in April. Because again, we've been saying this for a while, but I still think the Jays are one of the best teams in baseball. And so if you're one of the best teams in baseball, you're probably going to post a winning month every month. Yeah, we are such prisoners to the moment in these jobs. And it's, it's what we do, right? Like, we have to analyze what's happening right now. And, like, as much as we'd like to say this is going to be X in July and this is going to be Y in August, we don't know that yet. All we have is the 35 games they've played or something like that. I ran this by somebody with the team the other day, and I said, what do you make of, like, just kind of the polarization of performance throughout the season? And they just shrugged their shoulders. They're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like it's We don't really look at it that way. And you don't yeah. look at it that way when you're inside the game. When you're in our position, I don't know, you're, you're almost forced to uh, yeah. sometimes to be this prisoner of the moment. Like So you look at it, right? Three games in Pittsburgh, the Blue Jays have a one ERA. They allowed three runs in that series. Over the five-game losing streak, they had nearly an eight ERA through Boston and then uh, the the final game against Seattle. And then there was a six-game winning streak prior to that. They had a .82 ERA. The ERA was below one over those six games. Um, It's just the way that it plays out. Good teams have terrible slumps. Bad teams get really hot maybe that was the Pittsburgh Pirates over the first several weeks of the season but you're right when you do kind of pull it back out into the long view and we take like that 
the winning streak, the losing streak, and now the streak the Blue Jays have through Pittsburgh. And we look at just the last three weeks. So this is since April 18th. Over the last three weeks, the Blue Jays have the best starting pitching ERA in baseball, 278. They have gotten the fourth most innings from their starters, 107 over that span. Uh, and like the hard hit rate, the FIP, all that stuff, the home run rate, all supports that this is a team with a really good rotation that has been performing really well over time. There just have been these super rocky moments where, say, Kevin Gosman gets ambushed by the Houston Astros or Jose Barrios has an outing that looks like one of his 2022 ones. But I do think in the aggregate, as we get more games and more runway elapses, we're going to see that you're right. This is a very good mid-90s win team. Yeah, it's that's their pace, right? Their pace right now, 21 and 14. They are on pace to win 97 games. That would be a tremendous showing. be one of the best showings the Blue Jays have ever had. And it would be in one of the most competitive divisions that we've ever seen. They're a third place team right now. Probably won't last. They'll probably climb in those standings to some extent. But this division is is really, really tough. I think, you know, it's interesting, like you you mentioned the contrast between how someone with the front office might view it and someone in our positions. And I agree, like to some extent, it is the demand of these jobs, right? Where, you know, for example, if I'm talking about a game, whether it's on the radio, whether it's on TV, I'm talking about that game. It's not my job to zoom out and say, <laughs> yeah, we'll forget this in July, you know, whatever. This will be a long distant memory in, in September when it really counts. No, the job is to offer commentary on that play, on the significance of that day, what we're learning about the team right then and there. That's like, of course, that's the challenge. And of course, you want to embrace that and dive into those details at the same time. One thing that we need to keep in mind and and also, you know, hopefully fans can keep in mind is it's never just about that play. There's always a bigger picture to to keep in mind as well. And I think the more we can do that, the better. And, And again, you look at this team, they got a great record. They're mostly healthy. That's a good place to be. I will say this is quite a stretch that the Blue Jays are on right now uh i'm in philly as we record this and uh so they they haven't begun that two game series yet so i have no idea what's going to happen in the first game by the time you listen to this you probably do know what happened in the first game and maybe everything that ben and i uh are talking about sounds insane but they're playing uh, a team that last year was in the world series and uh yes probably uh you know I don't know, like obviously not one of MLB's best teams this year, maybe a playoff team. I don't know. Still a good opponent. You're not playing the Pirates here in Philly. And then you're going home and you get the Braves for three who like, look at what the Braves are going to be doing. You think the Blue Jays are hitting the ball hard? Like you think the Blue Jays are getting some good starting pitching? Look at what Atlanta's doing this year. That's going to be an amazing series at Rogers Center. And then the Yankees come in for four and then the Orioles come in for three and as we know the Orioles are a much peskier out this year um, a team that is like totally capable of beating the Blue Jays in a three game series so this is going to be a really fun homestand a really fun stretch of games and then oh by the way after that homestand you go to the trop yeah it's really tough it's really tough it's uh, a schedule for them that doesn't really relent until June That's what you have to do. The Jays have also played a lot of road games to this point in the season after a three-city trip and after a three-city trip to open the season. So they haven't had the benefits of of playing at home. Those will trickle to them later. So to some extent, these things do even out. I, I think that for the Jays, it's not to say that those little things that happened 
you just forget and you just erase and it's like they never happened. The struggles of Anthony Bass, for instance, or their struggles defensively, the ongoing questions around Kevin Biggio and Brandon Belt. Those are real. Those are real issues for the Jays to, to sort out. At the same time, every team in baseball, when you follow them closely enough, you know, like you don't think that the the Rays have questions around, you know, the health of some of their returning pitchers, for example. Of course they do. Or Atlanta. Even the best teams in baseball have have questions. And for the Jays, like, let's say it doesn't work out with Brandon Bell. Let's say it is worst case scenario. Okay, you trade for a DH at the deadline, right? Like that's a solvable problem. Or maybe he keeps hitting. And the guy that you signed for $9.3 million is exactly who you thought he was. Problem solved. You've got your DH in-house. You use your trade chips for something else. So the problems are real with the Jays. They're just also solvable. And I will say it's a very good sign that the Blue Jays pulled themselves out of what was happening at Fenway Park as quickly as they did. Uh, it's the sort of thing that like can get worse over time. You can sit in that sort of defensive slump and you can start feeling about, you know, down about yourself when, when you're coming to the ballpark in the midst of a of a long trip. But the Blue Jays like really just halted it right there. They did not play like clean, crisp, tidy baseball in Boston at all. And I think the elements had something to do with that. I was there. It was eight degrees Celsius every night and it was rainy and it was windy and it was gross and it was, uh, you know, it's not an easy place to play like on the best of days and none of those games were ideal conditions to like grip baseballs and throw them accurately in uh or track them you know when when they're above you but still both teams had to play in in those conditions and the blue jays did not play well but then they went to pittsburgh and they arrested that right and they said hey we're not gonna this isn't gonna define us like that's something the blue jays player said to me like this is not gonna define us like we're not gonna be this team we're not gonna let this continue like we are going to flush this and turn the page and like it's hard to imagine doing it any more emphatically than the way that they did against the pirates i mean they just dominated all three of those games to me like that's a good sign that they didn't let that continue they didn't let boston carry over into the rest of the trip they stopped it right there and a high fly ball to left field joe is going back turning and he will watch it go it's the first home run of the season for whit merrifield and it's now four to nothing blue jays yeah exactly and they still have a chance for a winning trip you know again you can kind of get caught up into these narrative like you know winning road trip or you know at a certain point you know, you can zoom in or create whatever like micro samples you want. It's really the big picture that does matter. But at the same time, to to go, let's say four and five on this trip, or potentially even a, a five and four trip. I mean, that would be really successful. It's not easy to go on the road and produce day after day against quality opponents. And the Red Sox, I know we touched on this last week. They're better than than I thought for sure. And I know we shouted out Yoshida, really good player. They've got some better pitching, some more, it's not great, but it's like serviceable pitching. The Red Sox aren't awful. Give them credit. The Jays maybe weren't entirely ready for that series. Um, Certainly weren't ready for the weather and for the quality of the at-bats that the Red Sox had for them. So as you said, to rally in Pittsburgh and to stay true to to an approach that served them really well uh, is an encouraging sign for this team. 
Yeah, two things about that series. Number one is you're right about the Red Sox. They had a tremendous approach against just each pitcher that the Blue Jays started in that series. Like they knew exactly what they wanted to do against Jose Brios and his change up. And Brios wasn't like locating it well, but they were laying off of it. They knew how they wanted to attack Alec Manoa and that they wanted to make him prove that he was going to land his his slider in the zone. Like they had a good approach against Kevin Gosman as well like they really did have like they executed i thought just a really intelligent and sound approach against every blue jays pitcher that extends to their work on the base paths nine for nine stealing bases in the series the blue jays got exposed there really with their times to the plate with pitchers with their catchers ability to to control the running game with the things that they're doing to stop base stealers i don't know that that has been corrected yet i don't know that that has been solved we'll see how that plays out over as as the season goes it's something to definitely keep an eye on because the red sox really did exploit that um to the point where like on some of these stolen bases like there wasn't even a throw because it was like this throw is mm-hmm. just not even going to be competitive so as a catcher i'm just going to eat that so pitchers have to be really smart about their times to the plate about varying their tempos um catchers need to be like maybe backpicking a bit more or at least like doing something to keep those those runners close the other thing with the boston series there's a weird virus running through the blue jays clubhouse right now that is impacting like a lot of guys like george springer is extremely sick and has been extremely sick and missed a game because of it in Boston and like you talk to guys around the team and they're like we don't even know how he played some of the other games in Boston um Danny Jansen's been battling it you say Kikuchi's been battling it a number of guys have been very sick and look again it's a thing that like teams go through in every season it's a thing that teams have to perform through you're never going to feel your best but it is like a little underlying element here of what's going on with the blue jays and and could have had some impact on why they played so poorly in really adverse conditions at fenway park yeah and that's the sort of thing that uh definitely can impact the performance of a player trying to go out there not feeling his best yeah it's going to be interesting and i think the the quality of competition moving forward is going to provide a lot of tests i mean you mentioned the the stolen bases um, the lack of caught stealing for the Jays catchers, you know, when Baltimore is here in town, that's going to be a big test for them. And Atlanta, too. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. has 15 stolen bases already. We're like, you know, a month and a bit into the season. This guy might steal 70 bases, 75 bases this year. You don't think he's going to test the Blue Jays this weekend or Jorge Mateo of the Orioles and Cedric Mullins? Like, it's going to be really interesting. And the Jays are going to need some answers there. But you know, I, I guess there's a workaround. If your pitching is good enough, those guys don't get on base. Maybe that's the workaround. But that, that is one of those ongoing questions for this team. I can't wait for that Braves series because I was just like pulling some numbers for the broadcast this morning. And, you know, like the Blue Jays are hitting the ball really hard in May, like through their first uh, seven or eight games, whatever it's been. Like the Blue Jays like are, you know, second in barrels and second in average eggs of velocity. They're like third and balls hit 100 plus miles per hour. And as I'm pulling these numbers, first place Atlanta, first place Atlanta, first place Atlanta. It's like every statistical category doing the same thing on the starting pitching side because I'm pulling all these starting pitching numbers. And I'm like, oh, the Blue Jays are, you know, second or third in all these categories because Atlanta is first. Like that's the these we'll see how things go in Philly for the Jays. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure where Atlanta is right now. So we'll see how these teams carry their performance through to that series starting at Rogers Center on Friday. But it's possible that you could get like two of the better constructed teams in baseball, two of the best teams as far as talent goes on paper in baseball, and two of the hottest teams in baseball playing each other at Rogers Center this weekend. 
Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And it's also like, you know, being again in the jobs that we are, um, you kind of look at subplots sometimes and like there's the Anthopolis subplot, of course, but it's kind of nice how distant that is at this point, you know, and as remarking the other day to someone like you look at the <laughs> it's kind of wild, actually, you look at how long ago that was. That was eight years ago. <laughs> Alex Anthopoulos left the Blue Jays. Yeah. Eight years. That's a lot of baseball that's been played. A lot of time that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have been here in Toronto. So now it's it's more so two really good teams um, led by, obviously, Anthopoulos, a very, very accomplished GM and a Canadian. And so there's there's always going to be a bit of a subplot there. But it's different than it certainly was the first couple of times that his teams came back. Bunch of guys we want to get into uh, specifically, and we're going to do that in the second half. Uh, all that and so much more, and we continue on at the letters. Listen to at the letters ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. Ben, here's something we haven't been able to say much on at the letters for like, I don't know, half a decade or so. Blue Jays really have their left-handed bats going lately. Uh, When's the last time you could say that? Blue Jays have 13 extra base hits from left-handed hitters through seven games this May. Just by way of comparison, through 28 games through the end of April, they had 19 extra base hits. The Blue Jays only six off of what they had uh, through the, the first month and change of the season. Brandon Belt is heating up. Dalton Varsho's made a little swing change, and he's swinging a hot bat. Even Kevin Kiermeyer producing a ton of hits out of the nine hole. Kevin Biggio's had his moments lately. It's a pretty interesting wrinkle to a Blue Jays offense that hasn't had that wrinkle for quite some time. Yeah, it's great to see, especially Dalton Varsho. If you're the Toronto Blue Jays, that's the guy that is the most important to the long-term and even to the short-term success of this team. I mean, they gave up a ton to get him. Gabriel Moreno's having a really good year in Arizona. You know, you want to talk about catchers throwing out runners. He looks like a great pickup for them. But Varsho looks like a great pickup for the Blue Jays. We've, of course, talked about his defensive skills in the outfield and on the bases. He's a very well-rounded player. And like you said, with that swing adjustment to his stride, he seems to be making really good contact and powering the ball. And you kind of look up at his uh, season-long WRC+, plus, OPS+, plus, pick your metric. Last I checked, it was around like 104. <laughs> you know, So that's pretty good for Dalton Varsho. That's where if it stays there for the entire season with his defense and his base running, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of totally fine of course you'd like a little bit more and there's room for more we're seeing that that's very much on the table for him but he's showing himself to be a very very good offensive player as well as the other aspects of his game well yeah and it's so important because Varsho plays every day like he starts every day Brandon Belt isn't starting against a lefty and you know Kiermaier is kind of like a three of every five games sort of guy at this point maybe like three or four or something like that and then Biggio is used pretty sparingly honestly but Varsho's in there every single day pretty high up in the order so yeah, you're, you're right like getting him going is the most impactful of all of them and if we had talked about Dalton Varsho like a week ago it would be wow this guy is hitting 122 over his last 21 games <laughs> like this guy is making lots of contact but not putting the ball in play with any authority and that's why he made the little swing tweak he 
went away from the toe tap back to a leg kick that he had used earlier in his career. Talked to him about it. It's he was looking at video of him as an amateur, like from college days, and being like, "Man, what was I doing back then that was letting me have success and let me make you know firmer contact?" And it was, "Oh, I was using a leg kick." And this is something that like Farsho, an admitted tinkerer, has kind of gone back and forth with throughout his career. Sometimes a toe tap, sometimes a leg kick. It's worked for him at times, hasn't worked for him. At others, the biggest issue for him with the toe tap right now, or at least recently, was that he just wasn't getting his hands back and he was getting sort of stuck in his swing. You know, a, a Blue Jays hitting coach kind of uh, uh, explained it to me as he was really just stagnant and he wasn't getting that sort of rubber band effect. When you think about leg going forward, hands going back, uh, he's getting kind of stuck there. So, Varsho feels like he's a lot more athletic with this swing. He feels a lot less robotic and step-to-step in his swing. He feels a lot smoother, and that's important for him because uh, the contact ability has been there all year. It's just been impacting the baseball and like striking it hard and getting the exit velo up, uh, and it appears this is allowing him to just have a lot more force through the zone with his barrel seen the results of that. The guy's got like six extra base hits this month, and, and he's hitting balls into rivers. And the one-two hit hard to right field. And Dalton Varsho just hit it out of the ballpark. And I believe into the Allegheny. Yes, he did. Dalton Varsho hits one into the Allegheny River. A long yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a great display of his pull power, that one at, at PNC Park, where he hits it, like, out of the park, into the river. That's uh, pretty impressive. He was also showcasing that power in Boston, I think he's in a good spot right now. I think the same can be said of Kiermaier, where, you know, Kiermaier is not going to be hitting the ball over the fence very often, but he's making contact. And with his speed, you make contact, like any kind of contact, and you can make some things happen. So as a nine hitter, and he knows his place in that order, it just kind of makes sense. You know, he's he's able to make some things happen. Sometimes end of the game, you see the Blue Jays down one. His spot comes up and he's able to get on base. And then it's like, all right, you've got Springer and Bo and Vlad coming up to potentially do some real damage. So I think offensively, for who Kevin Kiermaier is, knowing that he's not going to be a guy whose baseball savant page is all red, I mean, he's doing what you want from him. And then that leads to Brandon Belt. And I think that, you know, for me, my hesitations or or observations around Brandon Belt have been kind of well-established, I think, on ATL. I'm not sold. I just look at the strikeout rate, and it's still above 40%. I'm still not seeing enough barrels. Um, For a guy whose job is to hit, I'm not seeing enough damage to believe that he's back to that form. But I I don't know. Do you view it differently? Like, Am I being overly harsh here in, in talking about Belt? Well, he's made an adjustment, which I, you know, gives me optimism that he can probably not continue raking to the level that he is now, but be better over the rest of the season, look more like himself. And he's just getting his hands going quicker. He felt like his, and it looked like, and the results showed that his bat was lagging through the zone. And if you look back at April, um, he's basically, and this is, these are Belt's words, I love it, filleting pitches which i think is just such a great way of putting it basically just like fouling pitches off to left field right so think about just kind of like you know slicing them to left and that's not where belt's power is right like belt's power is pulled to to right center so main adjustment at the plate getting his hands going a a bit quicker and and it's working for him right you look at when he kind of broke through on saturday against the pirates he doubles to right and right center 
on two different pitches, one on a slider, one on a fastball. It was like one was mid 80s, one was mid 90s. The fact that he he was on time and hitting the ball the way he wanted to on two different pitches at two different speeds like that. To me, that's reason for optimism, I think. And the thing about Belts is throughout the year, he's made tremendous swing decisions. Like his strike zone management has been really, really good and disciplined throughout the year. He hasn't expanded. So he's worked a good approach. It's just seemed like his timing has been really poor at the plate. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with how much spring training, um, how many reps he missed or how few reps he had during spring. And I think he was just in a slump, which is something that's happened to him prior in his career i mean you're right we're gonna need to see it for more than two or three games but i do look at the approach and the swing adjustment that he made and i said yeah this can work going forward if he uh you know if he continues to maintain these things and belt hits it hard down the right field line off the wall on a bounce bichette is in to score varsho's on his way home and it's a two-run double for brandon belt and the Blue Jays yeah, it's a good sign. And I think um, that's a step in the right direction. It'll take more than that to uh, overcome you know, what he showed, uh, as to use his word, with the filleting in the first month of the season. And to get to the point that he is the best option that the Blue Jays have against right-handed pitching, which is why he was brought here. And so far, it just hasn't really looked like a, a matchup that even the Blue Jays like against right-handed pitching, where they're benching him against some righties, pinch hitting him. Clearly, it didn't work to start, and I think it makes sense for the Blue Jays, even though it's not working, to remain open-minded and to see if that can change in the course of the next month or so. You mentioned Kiermaier. Kevin Kiermaier has the most hits from the number nine spot in the batting order of anyone in baseball this spring. Uh, I know he told me, he probably told you, I think he told everyone, I want to be MLB's best number nine hitter. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so far, he has been. Uh, He's got a 118 WRC plus uh, as we sit here today on Tuesday, May 9th. Will that continue for the rest of the year? Uh, His track record suggests not. But if he even is right around that league average 100 WRC plus, boy, will the Blue Jays take that to the bank from him at number nine, when he's playing the defense he can play, when he's base running the way that he can, um, that would be right in line with his career average of a 98 WRC+. plus. I mean, if that's what they're getting for his contract, I mean, the Blue Jays are reaping surplus value, uh, and with health, they are over the moon if that's what they're getting from Kevin Kiermaier. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, if you look at what he's been able to do for them, and clearly, you know, the hip is healthy, he's able to cover that ground in center field, like consistently making dynamic plays. Uh, You know, it feels like every week, uh, we probably don't shout them out enough, but he's a remarkably talented um, and skilled defensive center fielder. You you start thinking about, okay, what would happen if, if he did pull a hamstring he needs a couple weeks on the IL and they could backfill I mean Varsho is a capable center fielder Springer could play some center field if they want but man Kevin Kiermaier really important player on this team in a way that you know Brandon Belt by contrast signed for comparable terms signed for for comparable guarantee if Brandon Belt needed an injured list and I mean I think the Jays could figure that out but Kevin Kiermaier has really made himself an indispensable part of this team yeah, and uh, you know the Blue Jays have done a really nice job with managing his workload so far. I think and keeping him fresh, giving him time off. Like we said, coming off of 
hip surgery. I mean, the Blue Jays have been remarkably healthy this year. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, everybody in the organization is knocking on wood about that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Where's all those, uh, all the people who are hating on the high performance department for uh, years and years? Uh, very quiet all of a sudden uh, as this extremely veteran team stays very healthy through the early part of the season. Uh, you're right. They could backfill for Kiermaier with Farsho in center. It'd be really interesting to see what that meant for like the corner outfield wraps if springers and right does that mean like whitten airfield is much more of a left fielder does that mean nathan lucas actually gets to play uh you know would that be an opportunity for someone else from the miners to come up and uh you know get a little bit of run i don't know but i think one more thing that i was just reminded of with far show uh, and we did this on the broadcast you can look at the heat map of like where he's getting attacked and he's got like such a very clear hole up and in in his swing and like just he knows it like the league knows it you look at fastballs against fire show and they are like all up and in on him from righties from lefties like that's just where guys attack him uh and there's no sort of like just add a leg kick silver bullet that's going to allow him to barrel pitches in that location just getting his barrel to that ball is just going to be really hard and then that's actually going to get him out of a hitting position where you can capitalize on mistakes over the plate so talking to him about it is kind of interesting his philosophy is look i need to not swing at that pitch that's what i need to do because if a pitcher can locate up and in fastballs to me three times okay i'll walk back to the dugout tip my cap good for you you struck me out with three really well executed pitches. What I need to live on is uh, capitalizing on the mistakes when a pitcher misses that location and when they're going for that up and in fastball and it leaks back out over the plate. I need to be in good position to barrel that ball. And I think that's a lot of what you're seeing Varsho do. Like he's not only capitalizing on the hung breaking balls that he's getting, but also fastballs that leak out, elevated fastballs that are out and over. He's doing a lot of damage on those. It's just like a really interesting way of thinking about it that like, yeah, I don't need to like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to swing at a spot where, where I'm weak. Like I don't want to hit what I'm weak at. I want to hit the mistakes and sometimes I might have to take my strikeouts when pitchers execute there, but how many pitchers can actually reliably execute three fastballs up and in? Well, yeah, remember for anyone watching these games, it is incredibly tough to locate one pitch where exactly where the catcher sets up, let alone three times in a row. And that's also true of really good pitchers. Like even if you watch Kevin Gosman probably is the best command on the Blue Jays. Even if you watch Kevin Gosman set aside his last start where he was off, even if you watch him on a day that he is on, sometimes he's missing spots. Like every at bat, there will be a pitch where he's missing his spot. You know, Danny Jansen will set up low and the pitch will leak to the middle of the plate. Maybe that's a cold strike three. Like sometimes you get away with those because the hitter's off balance, the hitter's expecting something else, or it's it's just a pitch that still has velocity, even if it doesn't have location, it still has movement, even if it doesn't have location. And so I think that makes a ton of sense from Varsho to kind of say, Hey, if you can beat me here, you can beat me here because, you know, the up and in fastball, that's going to be a weak spot in a bunch of swings for hitters. And, you know, maybe the heavy bias of the world try to swing and, and try to connect and end up striking out anyways. So Varsho, by pushing their hand, allows for the possibility that there will be mistakes that he can do more damage on. Just to tie a bow on the left-handed hitters and uh, transition into the right-handed ones on this club, who do you think has more extra base hits this year, Ben? Brandon Belt or George Springer? 
Well, I, I got to guess that if you're asking me this question in this way, it's Brandon Belt. Eight extra base hits for Brandon Belt. Uh, five for George Springer. Where is your level of concern right now with the, uh, the start to the season that George Springer's having? It's there. I'd say it's there. I, I don't think it's panic mode. George Springer's been a really good hitter for his entire career. And so that suggests that he can make the adjustments that he needs to make especially after a time where he has been battling some illness, playing through some things. Got to factor that in. Got to give the guy credit for being a gamer, um, which there's no doubt about that for anyone who's been around George Springer. But I I think that you look at some of the numbers and what stands out to me is the results on breaking balls. You see his batting average is very low, below 200 on breaking balls. That's sliders and curveballs. His slugging percentage also low. And pitchers have seemingly realized that. They're throwing George Springer more breaking balls than they used to before. That rate is up to around 36-37%, up from around 30% a couple of years ago, or last season in 2022. So that is something where pitchers seem to see a weakness in George Springer, and they're attacking it. And it's going to be on him to make that adjustment. Now, of all the hitters in baseball, George Springer is on that list of guys who can very much make that adjustment. But he hasn't done it yet. And so the level of concern, especially at a time that he's physically not 100%, I'd say it's moderate. I don't think it's severe. I don't think it's mild. I kind of put it in that moderate zone. Yeah, 100% with the breaking balls bit. And that has something to do with uh, a little bit of pull happiness that has uh, snuck into George Springer's game. And it's something that he's like working to address. Blue Jays very much aware of it. But he really was just pulling the ball a bit too much, getting around in the ball like a bit well really way too much earlier this year and uh even though he's been like extremely ill george springer has been like wearing out blue jays hitting coaches in the batting cages like trying to get out of this tendency and trying to correct it i think he took some like positive steps on the weekend at pnc friday he hits a uh, 420 foot homer to left center so we're now moving from extreme left to left center and then saturday there was a deep fly ball to right and uh Sunday there was a single to right as well so if he's starting to get more up the middle and to right I think that uh you know that that's a positive thing we've obviously seen that like George Springer can still hit the ball very very hard like he has like a couple 114s 115s this year off the bat so like that max exit velocity is still there but he has had a bit of trouble tapping into that exit velo consistently. You'll see like the average exit velocity on the year is way down. The hard hit rate is way down. It's sort of similar to what like Dalton Varsha was going through earlier this year. There was a point in the year where George Springer was getting really unlucky on his hard hit balls in play. That doesn't help. I'd imagine like his expected stats are still way higher than his actual stats but it hasn't been a luck issue that much over his last like seven to ten games like it's a timing thing it's a you know a a pull versus going the other way thing you see him coming out of it and i still believe like george springer is going to have one of those streaky springer streaks where it's like he's al player of the week you know at the third week of may or something or you know for the first two weeks of june you just can't get him out and he has like six homers in 12 games like i still think that's coming springer drives one to deep center field and it's gone and how good must that feel for george springer He has been waiting for the big hit for the big moment and he hits a long two run homer to extend the lead to four to nothing.
Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not a reach. You know, we're not saying like, oh, if he gets back to who he was two years ago, it's just if he gets back to who he was like literally last year, there's been a month that didn't look so good for George Springer. But, um, you know, he's still in the first half of this six year deal, 150 million that the Jays signed him to. This is year three. So, you know, maybe year five, year six, you start to think, all right, maybe this is time that he's going to decline. Not right now, though. I think this is the time that you expect him to be a very, very good version of himself and to produce in a way that makes sense for him to be leading off for a very, very good baseball team. You know who has been unlucky? And this might sound like kind of funny because he's legitimately been a top 20 hitter in baseball this year and he's leading the league in hits. But Bo has been unlucky. So I've been on this this whole road trip through Boston, through Pittsburgh. I'm in Philly now, and I've been watching Bo Bichette just smoke balls. I mean, and especially when I'm doing the sideline. Like, the way the ball is coming off of this guy's bat, super, super impressive. So I went and I looked it up. Bo Bichette, and we're seven games into the road trip as I sit here right now. We haven't started the series in Philly yet. Bo Bichette on this road trip has put 23 balls in play. 18 of them have been 95 miles per hour or harder. No one in baseball has as many balls in play at 95 plus in May as Bo Bichette. And of those 18 at 95 plus, eight have been outs. Bo's made six outs on balls in play with an expected batting average over 350. Like we're not just talking about like hard ground balls where like the 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 grass robs it of all of its velo. Like we are talking about like hard line outs to center and deep fly balls into the alleys that get run down. I mean, Bo is just barreling absolutely everything right now. And his results on the season are very impressive. We talked last week about how this might just be a new level for Bo Bichette. And this might be like honestly a breakout for him. But I think that his numbers should actually be even better than where they are right now. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, watching Bobichet hit really ever <laughs> since spring training and and into the season, you're kind of like, yeah, this guy's just a great hitter for. And we've seen so many great hitters on the Blue Jays, you know, in in recent years, even whether it's a, a Batista and Edwin Encarnacion and Josh Donaldson, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, but you know. Bo is a different kind of hitter than those guys. It's not the 40 homer power, um, although he certainly got his share of power, but just the amount, the sheer amount of line drives that Bo Bichette hits and, um, you know, the the ability to hit 320, 330 for a full MLB season, that is not something that a lot of people can do. Um, and it's really impressive to watch. And I think he's in the midst of one of those seasons, like you say, with just the consistency of the hard contact um, all around the field, Against any kind of pitch, um, any count, Bobochet is just a very dangerous, dangerous hitter. I've kind of been emptying out my notebook here. Ben, was there anyone else, anywhere else you wanted to go, anyone else you wanted to touch on? Well, I, you know, I do think that the bullpen is worth touching on at least briefly. We saw Zach Pop hit the injured list, Jay Jackson come up to replace him. That's a good place to be from a depth standpoint to have uh, someone like Jay Jackson with his fastball slider combo available to you. And I think this might sound harsh to say, but it was probably time to option Zach Pop just the way he had been pitching um, and to get a fresh arm up. The Jays really needed a fresh arm coming out of that Boston series. So this can be a, a reset. Hopefully Zach Pop heals quickly. Hopefully he gets back and he's able to compete and um, have the chance to to prove himself on the field. But that's, you know, a change that probably made sense. And I'm very curious to see Anthony Bass as well as he looks to make some adjustments here because 
remember, this is a guy who had a 1.54 ERA last year. He was very, very good with that fastball slider combo. And it has not been a pretty sight to start the 2023 season. So intrigued to see. I know he's working on some things behind the scenes with Pete Walker to get back to that place where he's locating his slider to the back foot of lefties, for example, away from righties and getting his fastball velo up because it's been down. But so far, it's been a really tough start to the year for Anthony Bass. He's in low leverage, as he should be right now, and intrigued to see where that leads moving forward. Yeah, on both those uh, matters, uh, you love seeing Jay Jackson kind of get his moment right now with the Blue Jays. I think he's going to be an important piece of this bullpen throughout the year. Uh, He still has that option remaining. So like when the Blue Jays do need to add somebody, like he might be the guy who ends up getting an option. But like it's important to remember that Jay Jackson had opportunities at the end of spring training when he was a free agent. He could have been in an opening day bullpen with another organization at the end of spring training he chose to come back to the blue jays he's ring chasing he wants to win a championship he understands his role and he is completely bought into it and like i am being as genuine as i could be the positivity that that guy brings on a daily basis like is infectious it's incredible for a guy that you know you think about sort of the up and down relievers the journeyman like mercenary types been through a million different organizations they've been overseas those guys can so easily get bitter with baseball they can so easily get jaded they've never really like been you know paid massively in their careers obviously they make a really good living but like they've never you know signed lucrative like big multi-year deals like they've just been sort of chewed up in a way by by the system and by the business of baseball yet jay jackson is not jaded and is not bitter at all it's really cool just to see the the positivity uh and the vibes honestly that he brings to the clubhouse every day and then with anthony bass yeah you mentioned the adjustments that he's working on the blue jays took video of like what he's been doing this year versus what he was doing last year found like a very sort of slight thing with staying gathered over the rubber shy did this on the um on the pregame show with me the other day, just on like staying over the rubber and staying back uh, and trying to just like not get ahead in his delivery, essentially, because like yeah, to your point, right? Like the velo was down. He was backing up his slider like he was spraying his fastball around like he was missing over the heart of the plate. Like it was weird, right? Like you haven't seen Anthony Bass do that for for two years. Um, and they just discovered this little inefficiency and discovered that his arm was kind of late. That was impacting his velocity and his command. Well, look at the last couple outings. Velo's trending back up. The edge rate is trending back up, which is huge for Anthony Bass because he's not going to be like a massive strikeout guy. Like he's going to rely on attacking the edges and getting weak contact and getting outs on on balls in play. So if he can focus on just staying gathered over the rubber, that fraction of a second longer, and if that really is like what he was missing, it's possible that we're going to see a better slider from him and better fastball command and Blue Jays hope better results. And this is one of those things, too, where so much invested pitch to pitch, right? Like he mislocated a pitch or he's scattering with his slider. It's true. He is. That matters. That impacts the results. The hope would be for the Blue Jays that at the end of the season, you zoom out and you look at it and maybe it's not a 1-5 ERA. Maybe it's a 2-5 or a 3-5, but he's still a useful reliever. And that outcome is very much in play for Pete Walker, for Anthony Bass as they move ahead here. 
Totally. Uh, that's going to be it for us. But want to thank our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. Want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, really good baseball coming up at the Rogers Center later this week uh, with the Atlanta Braves in town. But before then, I got a couple games to cover uh, here in Philadelphia. Looking forward to that and looking forward to talking to all of you next time on At The Letters.